Hi, I'm Katherine Ellsworth-Kretz. I'm a social climate scientist, and I've helped raise millions of pounds for climate action and supported hundreds of volunteers to take part in making their community a more sustainable place. I want to share what I've learned and inspire others to be powerful climate change workers and catalysts. If you're also passionate about climate justice, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Joyful Climate Writing. Hello, hello. This is going to be an episode with an update that I have finished my coaching certification. I am now certified with the Ethical Coaching Collective. And I first spoke about the program in episode 20. So if you want, you can go back and hear sort of my understanding and interpretations at that point. But I've learned so much. And so I wanted to share some of what I've learned from going through certification and also answer some questions again about, I suppose, how coaching works, because I've been getting asked that quite a bit. And I realized that I could be more explicit and that if, you know, a few people are asking you these questions, then others might be thinking them too. So I thought I would start off and explain a bit about the Ethical Coaching Collective because some people asked me, you know, what certification was like and what led me to this program in particular was that focus on ethics. So I'm going to read out the standards that we are I guess, going to adhere by, by going through that program. The first one is that we do not coach without consent. The second one is that we do not sell coaching without consent. And I realize this is actually part of why maybe I haven't always talked as much about coaching as I could, because maybe I worry it'll come off as like me trying to sell something. But there's also, I suppose, and understanding that, like, if you're listening to this, you don't have to. I'm not like, oh, gosh, that feels extreme, like holding a gun to your head and forcing you to keep listening to this. So uh, the fact that, you know, you're here probably means that you're interested in what I have to share. But again, you can walk away. You don't have to <laughs> buy anything from me um, or or to keep kind of learning and benefiting from the podcast. Um, so everyone is welcome as well. Uh, the third standard is that in marketing and selling, we will treat people the way we would treat our clients with respect, transparency, thoughtfulness, and genuine care for their well-being. Four, the best that anyone can be in our presence is our thoughts about them. We base all our work with clients in unconditional positive regard. If we cannot feel unconditional positive regard for someone, and it's okay because we're human, we refer them to someone who can. I really appreciated this as well. I'd come across some other coaches, um, and I'm not going to like name names or other certification programs, but where it was sort of implied that if you maybe kind of didn't like someone and they rubbed you up the wrong way, that they could provide some of the best lessons for you. That, you know, maybe you don't need to like the people you coach and uh, you should kind of push through it. And in some ways, I get that. I do. I can see that perspective. 
But I really liked on this coaching program that it was really like, why? Like that'll come through, you know, uh, the certification I also went for is one that's really about coaching the unconscious mind. And so if you even are trying to like get yourself to like someone, and I'm not saying like you have to agree on everything or anything like that, but you know, you really want to, I think, coach people who you can hold in really high regard because I've spoken about this before on the podcast and basically it was this same idea that the best anyone can be in our presence is our thoughts about them. So if you kind of don't like someone, like that's going to come through. They're going to know it like on a subconscious level, even if they don't know it on the conscious level. So again, I really appreciated that. It's like when you do a consult, it's not just like you're again, trying to make a sale and like really wanting to coach someone because they might pay you. It's actually about like, do I feel like I can help this person? And would it be really fun to work together? Like, do I really want to see this person flourish as well? Number five is we understand that neither human development nor coaching happen in a social and political vacuum. We will be outspoken about our values and make business decisions that reflect them. We will never put profit above values. I also think this is amazing. I did not see this anywhere in any other coaching program. Maybe it's there, but I didn't really see it. This emphasis on um, just acknowledging like structural injustices or, you know, right. I want to coach around climate issues. And so I am putting out my values and some of my political perspectives. And it's not to say that I couldn't coach someone who, again, might have different might sit in a different political party or have different solutions we might connect on another level but just that you know you can talk about those those are part of who I am as a human and they might influence the conversations that we're going to have and that's not bad whereas again I was sort of hearing from other spaces that you know you just really hold this really like objective space for people. And in in some ways that's true. I think you can totally come in detached, but in other ways, um, yeah, there's things that I value and they value and it's lovely to get to bring that into the relationship. Number six is we believe in every human's capacity for healing, change and growth and the reality of miraculous quantum change And we do not bypass slow, steady, repeated work and cultivation of the grounded presence it takes to stay with things that take time. Oh, this has been wild, actually. So in our certification program, one of the things that I had just never really heard before is how we seem to accept that someone can go through a traumatic experience that could be very short and could have a profound impact, a profound negative impact on, you know, their psychology or the physiology. But we don't always accept that you can also reverse those things really quickly. And I have seen that happen. On this program, I have seen so many people who, um, I'm not talking about me, I haven't actually coached like a smoker, but I've spoken to multiple friends and seen posts where 
people coach someone who was a smoker for like 15 years. Maybe it was one session, maybe it was five in a row, and they haven't smoked since. And it's been a few months. Like I have seen crazy, crazy things happen from the training we've gotten. Uh, because as I said in episode 20, Melissa Tears, who's a hypnotherapist and who led the certification with Simone Seal, is a magician. She's been working in this field for 25 years, and her techniques are very impressive. So, yeah, you can make changes happen really fast. You totally can. And also, we don't have to rush through emotions, and you can think about what you really want and take that time to be slow and and acknowledge that, yeah, also a lot of these habits do take time. Um, I personally have a thing about three months. I love three-month-long classes, three-month-long, even just activities for myself, like the Artist Way I've talked about many times. That's 12 weeks. And so, and this course was three months, uh, three intensive months, and there's continued kind of practice and support. So while I know actually Melissa Tears herself generally offers three sessions, I think she quite likes that. She likes the kind of quick, miraculous quantum change. But I know for me personally, I really like seeing people for three months as well, because I think in the first month, people can like have crazy changes because they're holding that space. They're invested. They really want to make a change. But then, you know, they might stumble and that that can take a while. They have to start implementing something new and then see the new roadblocks that come up or how they've made an improvement in one area. But maybe, again, it kind of uh, it starts to manifest in a different way. So, yeah. This recognition, again, of both quick and slow and being able to hold those paradoxes that those two things can exist. Number seven is we stay fiercely awake and present to pain and suffering inherent in life and the world, but we do not let it overwhelm us and stop us from believing in the magic and fun of coaching work. Eight. We are open to all possibilities, but are dogmatic about nothing. Nine, we don't do gurus. We don't do culty thinking. You are the best authority on you. The client is the best authority on themselves. And we do not endorse outsourcing decision-making or responsibility for how we experience the world and create a reality to anyone else. I think those in combination are really important. And again, I think this can happen with anything. Like I've seen it in yoga. Um, I think I have seen it in coaching. I think we see it in all sorts of places where things can get a bit culty. Uh, but it's not to say that it, like any group or organization like will have to go that way. Um, but it was just really nice to kind of have it called out. And again, that reminder of Coaching is generally about holding a mirror up to someone else. It might be about uh, helping boost them or make suggestions about things they could try or where they might want to go. But it's generally kind of saying, like, what do you want? And then if they say what they want, um, there was 
see, it seemed like a ridiculous example, but it doesn't matter because it's whatever is most urgent to that person at that time. Um, but if someone is just like, I want to be able to um, go to bed at 7 p.m. every night because that's going to deal with some issue. And part of you is like, like, that seems too early. It doesn't matter. It's their choice. If that's when they want to do it, then that's what you're going to help them achieve. Like, <laughs> um, so I just really like that of like, you are the best authority on you, even if you're working with a coach. And then number 10 is we would rather be curious than be right. And 11 is we do not aim to be perfect practitioners or perfect humans. We aim to learn, do a little better than yesterday and have fun. And oh, have we had fun. <laughs> um, so I hope that gives you a bit of a sense of the ethos, I suppose, behind the certification that I went through. Um, it was probably about 100 hours over the three months. It felt very intense. And I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of glad that it's over and I have a little bit more space in my life. Um, some surprises from the coaching was that... There was a lot of hypnosis. I did not expect to come away feeling like uh, someone who actually, I never really got hypnosis or trance. And actually, when we started, I would have been too scared to admit the H word was involved, which is essentially just uh, like visualizing the future, which is something athletes do. There's a lot of research behind why this works. I have referred to it in some previous episodes, but it's called Hebb's Law, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So when you are imagining uh, standing up and giving a talk and being calm and confident and articulate, the more you keep practicing that image of yourself, the more you reinforce that that is how you're going to show up in that situation. So, yeah, hypnosis, though, is so good. And I'll probably do a separate episode on it because I have a lot to say about it. I think, though, what I've learned is how, and from doing it on lots of other people and also having it done on me, is that it takes practice like anything. So the people who are maybe like the easiest to do hypnosis on are people who have probably already done something like that. Maybe they've done a lot of meditation and yoga or they're just keen. Like there's something about a willingness to like not kind of feel silly and not to overpressure your subconscious or unconscious either. So one of the trances, it's really fun. Uh, you get to meet your wise advocate. And so you go down a beautiful stairwell and then a door appears and you kind of get primed that when you open the door, you will meet your wise advocate and you'll be able to ask them a question and ask them for guidance. And the first time I did this, I was kind of, I was too scared. I was scared. You know, I wondered if, you know, nothing would be there and what that would mean. Or some of the people who were put in trance because we'd have all these demos, the things that they saw were so wild. And it was like, am I that creative? And 
I think the people who it works for, they're leaning into it rather than thinking they've done something wrong. They lean into following anything that might come up that even if it's a bit weird and even if it's slow, they don't let that mean that anything went wrong. And so it takes practice. Uh, there's another one where uh, you get so calm and you suggest that someone might not be able to lift their legs. And then when I got had it done to me, I was like trying really hard to lift my leg. The first time, I was too scared to try. But the second time it done to me, I was like, I'm going to get my leg up. And I couldn't. And I think it's moments like that that then make you go, okay, this isn't all totally made up. Like I'm in a different state of calm and relaxation and comfort and safety. And from that place, I can get out of my rationalizing head and listen a lot more to my heart and my gut and my body. So if you're into hypnotism, you might really enjoy anyone who's certified in this program because, again, Melissa is a magician and she's taught us all to be a little bit of magicians. I've also been told recently <laughs> that, like, who needs psychedelics when I'm around because uh, their hypnosis was, like, so trippy. And I will admit that <laughs> Melissa does something called Psychedelic Sundays and I have done um, one that is like doing psychedelics and it was wild and so expansive and you feel really connected with the world. It's very strange. Um, and you might be wondering what does all of this have to do with uh, coaching in some ways? Cause it's probably maybe sounding a bit silly, but the main thing that we learned from this coaching course is called the meta pattern, which I talked about before. But I'm going to talk about it again because I think I have, of course, I have a broader understanding of it. So there's four steps to the meta pattern and you can do these for yourself. I do it uh, when I'm just journaling and I want to work through something. I've started doing it when I write stories. The first time I wrote a story this way, it was one of the fastest things I've ever gotten published, although it's still not out, but we can talk about that another day. So how the meta pattern works is first you get someone to associate into the problem. That's step one. So what was the thing that triggered um, like a negative thought that you had? Maybe it was picking up your phone and seeing a message from someone. Um, a friend that maybe always makes you nervous when you hear from them or something like that. And you don't want to have that reaction to them. Maybe they're, they're like needy and you don't want to feel needy. You want to, you know, be more engaged with them. So you want to kind of actually really get into like, okay, where were you specifically? What was around you? What was going on? What was really that moment that then led to uh, the thought that you want to change or the feeling that you want to change? And step two is to dissociate from that. Because sometimes when people start going in, um, you know, to something that was really painful for them or really upsetting, then they get all wound up in their story and they get really, like they do get upset. Again, you know, you might start crying or, um, you know, speeding heart or 
uh, kind of like the, the fetal, like raised shoulders and, you know, really uncomfortable position. So you want to dissociate from that. You found the trigger. You need to find the trigger. Great. But then you're going to dissociate. I've talked about loads of ways to do this on the podcast already. Uh, in episode 24, I talked about the metaphoric two-step, which is one of my favorites. So sometimes you just ask like, okay, what would be a shape? If you could describe that feeling, what shape would it be? And then you just ask them, how can you change that shape? And by playing around with the idea that you can change something and buying into that, that can help dissociate you. There's also tapping, doing peripheral vision, and um, bilateral stimulation. I think I've talked about these before, and if not, I will try to get them in at some point. And then the next step is to associate into how you do want to feel. So that can just be done with that question. Okay, well, how, how do I want to feel in that situation? How do I want to react when I see my phone and I get a text from this person? I want to feel like the way I feel every morning when I give my husband a hug. <laughs> I want to feel like I light up when I see them because I love them so much. And so I think about and I take those resources, what I want, and then I start looping it back into the trigger. And I said this on episode 20. At first, you're like, well, those don't go together. Like, that'd be great if I felt that way. But that's not how it works. But you just keep looping and looping and looping. And probably when I recorded episode 20, I thought this was something you did like three times. I now know from doing this with many, many people and on myself that often you do this like 20 times. You take the thing uh, that you might want and you keep just putting it back in. And it can be really fast. It can even just be like, I'd want to be calm. Okay, well, if you were feeling calm, what would it be like when you saw that text? I want to feel relaxed. Okay, well, what would it be like when you saw that text? Um, so you just kind of keep playing and keep looping. And this is because our memory is malleable. And so what's also fun is that you get to spread those good feelings around. So the fourth step is called collapse. And that is when that new neural network when you've been able to put that different emotion back onto the trigger. And so the old one collapses, it disappears. And Melissa's metaphor for all this is like, it's a tabletop. So I might have a certain habituated pattern that is that tabletop. Like smoking could be a tabletop. Or um, again, even like something about that friendship could be a tabletop. And you might ask, okay, well, where does that feeling or that pattern show up again in other places in your life? And then you go and you find those specific triggers again, and then you bring those resources back into them. And why it's a tabletop is because often it doesn't mean you can just knock down one instance. You want to knock down maybe three legs to get the table uh, knocked over. I don't know why we're knocking tables, but anyway, um, and it might take more. You know, there's lots of different designs for tables. There might be <laughs> more. Um, but the point about hypnosis and psychedelics is sometimes those experiences just like flatten a table all at once. They help you see the world in a different way. One thing that stuck out for me the day I recorded episode 20 <laughs> 
I remember Simone and Melissa were explaining that this is why time heals everything. Or most things, many things. is because it's following this four-step process. You might have been hurt or upset at one point. But then you go away and you grow or someone gives you comfort or another perspective on an event and it rewrites itself and you see it differently and you can feel differently about it. It doesn't, right, like a really a bad breakup or a betrayal from a friend. It doesn't hurt further away, but that's partly because you're able to bring different resources into that perspective and you're able to, again, rewrite that memory. I'm not saying that always happens, but that's as in people can still find old memories really triggering and really upsetting. Of course they can. But you can also follow this process really intentionally. And I have been blown away again and again and again by when we come out of a session and you say to someone, okay, now see that trigger again. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't really, I don't really care about it. Where they were like in tears at the start of the session, talking about it. This is crazy stuff. It's really, really, it's really fun. It's really great. Uh, so I'm going to end quickly because this is getting close to my longest episode and say that I do have two places coming up in May. If anyone wants to have a go and have a play, if you... <laughs> liked the sound of hypnosis and getting to do the meta pattern and there's a change that you want to make in your life. I currently offer a weekly three-month package because I find that's the best length for me. It's not too long of a commitment. I think sometimes six months feels like a really long commitment, but three months I think you can get a lot done and it can be intense without feeling too burdensome. I also think people can make some big, big changes in three months. I know I have. I have definitely learned a lot from the certification course. The Artist's Way changed my life in three months. And I would love to work with you on anything that you might want to change as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Joyful Climate Writing. If you'd like to follow more of my content, you can find all of my links on my website, ellsworthkrebs.mystrikingly.com. I've just started a weekly email called A Little Sunshine, so head over there to subscribe.